welcome to Alpha Podline, the podcast where every episode I'm joined by a different guest to talk about a different issue of the comic Alpha Flight. This episode I'm joined by Tom. Tom, could you introduce yourself? Hi, my name's Tom. I am met Gareth because I blog about comics at least once a year these days <laughs> at uh, suggested for mature readers at wordpress.com. Um, I also I work for the Daily Mash as a satirist in my day job. Before that, I was a fully paid up proper journalist. So I'll be bringing that level of intellectual rigour to this podcast. <laughs> Good. Finally, some intellectual rigour. Uh, there's been a dearth of it, apart from all the guests before, because I wanted right. to feel yeah. I was insulting them. Um, we'll just aim that at me. Um, okay, so. Uh, Thank you for coming on. Before I sort of pressured you into reading this comic and coming on the podcast, uh, how much did you know about Alpha Flight? Well, I knew I know a little. As a comics reader, you tend to pick up stuff about um, comics and super teams that you have no interest in whatsoever, e- without even trying. I've definitely read one issue before. Okay. I'm guessing, I think it was around the 30s or 40s, and... Um, Heather was suiting up as Vindicator for the first time. That was a big deal for everyone. Yeah. This, I imagine, was in my teenage years where I was quite often, you know, buying an issue with a look, hope, hoping that it would be good enough that I could commit to a series. Yeah. And clearly it wasn't. <laughs> but that's not necessarily a positive thing. Otherwise, <laughs> I've read um, the two issues of X-Men Alpha Flight in the big Essential X-Men collection. And I remember literally nothing of them at all. They skated past my brain, leaving no, not a mark. Are those the you know, are those I'm, ones where X Men turn up? Uh, sorry, where Alpha Flight turn up in X Men, or was it the crossover where they I fight Loki next to a magic crossover? World? I don't think it because their first appearance was in X Men, wasn't it? That's but right. I think yeah. It was, the, was it a two issue like double size crossover, big deal of a kind of thing? Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I've definitely read those issues, but like I say, I, I've retained none of it. Right, okay. Um, sorry, bear with me for a moment. What's happened? My daughter's just come downstairs because it's apparently it's too light to sleep, I'm guessing. Oh, she's shaking her head. What's the matter? I'm too hot. You're too hot. It is hot. Do you want to go and sit with Mummy and Bill for a bit? Sorry? Where are they then? I don't know. <laughs> Mummy's upstairs somewhere. Man, this is going to be an editing night. <laughs> I'll make a really loud noise when all this is over, and then you can, you've got a mark I'll have it. somewhere to uh, yeah. crop to. Old podcaster's trick. Um, Martha, there's a microphone in front of me. I've got headphones in. What do you think I'm going to do right now? Do you think I'm going to ask you to go back to bed? Do you think I'm going to ask you to find mummy? Come here. Oh, she's run off. She's hit a balloon on the way. <laughs> oh, that'll create the round noise that was necessary. Um, <laughs> good, good stuff. Um, where were we? Oh, X-Men Alpha Flight, the crossover, yeah. where they uh, all turn magic for a little bit. Um, what do they do? So there's a magic well uh, in a mountain somewhere, and for some reason, Loki... I could really go into it, but I half remember it, so I won't. And I'll save it for a, a, a special issue, uh, a special episode. But um, yeah, uh, Loki decides that he's going to trick everyone into becoming superheroes. 
uh, extra superheroes. Well, surely so, he backs very much the wrong horse when going for X-Men and Alpha Flight, who are already superheroes. But, so, uh, obviously, every single member of a superhero team has a fatal flaw or a mortal fear or something with them that they don't like. And so Loki turns the magic so that that thing disappears. Um, so Puck, for instance, becomes tall. Oh, right. he was short. That that's that that level of transformation. Right. Okay. Um, but yeah. Okay. So, but we're not talking about that today. We're talking about the extra special Alpha Flight number twelve. Um, iconic amongst Alpha Flight fans, and occasionally among people who don't like Alpha Flight very much. It's it was a special double size issue. I'm reading it in trade, so uh, I can't see. Oh, no, it's July 1984. It came out. Yeah, I've got. And um, so the creative team on it were John Byrne was the creator chronicler, which he liked to call himself around this time. Andy Yankus was coloring. Michael Higgins was the letterer. Denny O'Neill was the editor, and Jim Shooter was the editor in chief. And it's a special double sized issue, and quite a lot happens in this. Um, That's a uh, matter of opinion. <laughs> I, well, <laughs> for me, who really likes it, quite a lot happens. Um, there's, there's one event. There's one major event, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and lots of seeds for other smaller events. Okay. Uh, so, um, yeah, so if you could... Uh, uh, synopsize? Synopsize isn't a word. Okay. Well, you, yeah. give, uh, you know what I mean. I can. I can. Let's uh, summarize. That'll do. So we open in a New York City, an office residence near the World Trade Center. This is decorated. I, you're reading it in trade paperback. I don't know if that was coloring, but... Oh, the coloring is very bright in this. By the way. Yeah. Because everything is white, apart from where it's highlighted in light blue. Um, it's an unusual colouring decision, and one I feel born more of laziness than both strive for effect. Anyway, Heather... <laughs> it's very stylish. This is what style looked like in the 80s. Okay. <laughs> the 80s was black, the 90s were white. Um, <laughs> Heather, who is the team lead, Alpha Flight's team leader, Guardian wife, has been brought here on a flimsy pretext... She is then shown a video of a man who is an old and I'm guessing never before mentioned associate of her husband who has been nursing a grudge against him for 20 years um, and has a terrible revenge plot cooked up. We then cut to Alpha Flight. They all get together. They have a fight for yes. no real reason that I can tell. They just seem... I mean, I don't know if this was... this. It was editorially mandated it had to be a double size issue. But it's, it seems a very dysfunctional team. If they all get together, their alert is sounded, they get together, immediately have a fight, yeah. then stop having a fight, and then go off for another fight. That is with, I'm guessing, Amiga Flight, are they called? Yes, so they end up having a fight Amiga. with... How, how, much, how should I say it? How are we going to go with this? Oh, may I say Omega? Um, Omega? Omega? <laughs> Omega Flight? Omega Flight? That was one of my list of options. Okay, Omega Flight. <laughs> <laughs> Who, um, as is the uh, usually the case in this kind of comic, attack them one by one, yeah, using their powers to subdue each member of the team personally until it all goes wrong and they're beaten. Yep. Then, in shock ending, um, Guardian, who has had his electronic suit damaged, tries to fix it, 
gets almost done. Uh, his wife suddenly appears, um, and he is blown up and reduced to a small pile of ash in front of her. Yeah. So that, I imagine, is the reason for this being an iconic issue, because back then, in 1984, you didn't really kill the leader of your super team summarily and without much warning, as happened here. Yeah. The deaths of kind were rare. That's so, right. And, and he stayed dead it, for a long, long time as well. Oh, he's, he's, he's not dead now, I should have He's guessed. not dead now. Uh, sometime yeah. in the 2000, early 2000s, he got written back into the Marvel Universe. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's, he was dead for a long time. Uh, and what, was the, what was the excuse used to bring him back? Oh, some sort of magic crossover. I haven't read it yet. Um, <laughs> All right, okay, fair enough. I, just, I mean, he is a part, he's, a, he's just Ash in this issue, so I imagine, you know, it's fairly difficult to explain. Yeah. But yeah, so I think, which I guess that's the reason for it being iconic. It has quite an iconic cover, all the team members' heads in a crosshairs against a blazing hot pink backdrop. Yeah. And it's saying, and what will surely die, which yep. is something that's been used and parodied ever since. I've, you know, the Doom Force, if you remember the. That's uh, right, yeah, the, the issue. Uh, which one of the and with a big arrow pointing to the one who would die. Yeah. So, um, but other than that, there's, it's rather boilerplate stuff, isn't it? It doesn't feel like there's a lot of thought gone into it, apart from just going, oh, well, we, we're killing a guy, so we don't really need to work that hard. <laughs> um, I think uh, one of the reasons why um, it worked is that um, in the issue before this, it was set up, and so fans of Alpha Flight, which I know that Alpha Flight now isn't seen as a major yeah. thing in the Marvel Universe, popular. but at the time it was very popular. Um, and so fans were told that someone was going to die. And oh. so there's a lot of speculation around who that might be. I think you know, more astute readers guessed it would be Guardian. Um, but uh, yeah, it was still... It was still a major event at the time, and yeah, it did. It did start that cliche of sticking a bunch of people on the cover and then asking, like, yeah, someone's going to cop it. But you know, it's it's not a cliche for the people who did it first. So credit yeah. to Alpha Flight for that, at least. Yeah, it does um, look, look on the cover as though they're all being they're all, they're in crosshairs, as if a sniper's aiming them all. But all the crosshairs are very strangely tilted, as if the sniper was in some kind of maybe in a hammock and just trying <laughs> to. Calculate it where he could go. I'm just going to have to go with the shot from here. <laughs> uh, there is that. I mean, the, the cover is iconic in its own sense. Um, future volumes of Alpha Flight and also late issues in the same volume. Um, I'd say homage, but homage is uh, too subtle a word for. Yeah. They just, just copy it. I guess. Yeah. Um, and also the um, Alpha Flight Special 87, which me and Bobsy covered a few weeks ago. Uh, did a, a, a similar trick. Yeah. Um, you know, why not? I mean, if it's one of the better known things about your comic, then yeah. run with it. But yeah, it actually, um, it kind of, uh, going back to Doom Force, maybe I've not had enough experience of these kind of comics, but it kind of tracked it along quite well in a sense. There's a big fighting sequence between the team themselves. Then there's a big fighting sequence with the enemy which looks just like it's in the X-Men's danger room. I mean, the background is just... It does you know, look a lot like that, yeah. Rectangles, and, which, and apparently it's in a building near the World Trade Centre, so, you know, yeah. 
the the conspiracies about why WT7 collapsed could be explained by Alpha and Omega flight continually fighting in there and <laughs> weakening those girders. Yeah. yeah. But do you want to turn this into a 9/11 conspiracy podcast or? Um, we get more listeners. <laughs> well, let's go go with what works. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, I yeah. So as someone invested in Alpha Flight, I think there's a lot in here. So a lot of the fighting in in the team yeah. is uh, is because John Byrne, who was the he did everything basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, Andy Yankus did all his colouring. So I'm guessing they had enough of a relationship that John Byrne could say, this is exactly what I want. Go and make it how I look. How, go and make it how I want it to look. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the plot points in here, so especially this, the, the big fight here where Sasquatch just tries to beat everybody up. He just gets super angry. Well, uh, you can see this is going, that's going a kind of a Hulk direction, isn't it? Where he just loses control of his strength. And yeah, so the origin that we have been presented and it was fleshed out in the episode in the issue before this, so you actually see where Sasquatch got his powers from. Um, right. Uh, was um, he was a expert in gamma radiation, and he tried to copy Bruce Banner's experiments. Oh right, okay. To turn himself into like a clever Hulk to show how much better he was than Bruce Banner. And instead of turning into a green Hulk, he turned into a big furry Sasquatch. Was and it the gamma radiation Canadian in some way? Had it he been was in Canada when he did it. through maple syrup? Is that why it had that particular effect? Um, <laughs> it, uh, I, uh, I don't think there's any maple syrup involved. I suppose. If that's part of the origin, they need to change the origin. That, that, that can be retconned. Um, <laughs> it, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, not too long ago, I claimed that I had started drinking maple syrup because of this comic, so I'm not going to go too far into that. <coughs> are there any Canadian superheroes who are maple syrup based? Because you, I mean, that's you know, when you're talking about American created superhero teams from another country, they yeah. generally rely on stereotypes that shallow, don't they? Um, well, you know, English, there is, there is major maple leaf who is a major character in issue 106, where um, North Star comes out as gay. and he... Is it syrup specifically, or is it just... Is it what, sorry? Is it syrup specifically? Or it's is not it syrup, just... but he is Major Maple Leaf, and he is a Mountie. Right. So we're going to talk about Canadian stereotypes. Uh, he's a super-powered Mountie. Um, right. Always fact... gets his turn, which is unfortunate language in terms of it being the North Star coming out issue. Is it what? X is down, you say? They always get, the Mountie always gets Always man. gets their man, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, North Star came out while fighting a Mountie in a supermarket. And I do remember, I do remember having seen scans of that issue online. So, yeah. uh, all images of it, anyway. Um, so, so, there is, there are subplots paying off. I mean, the other thing, it did seem very derivative in style to the classic Claremont X-Men, which, of course, was huge at the time. Yeah. And Byrne drew and helped, presumably helped make extremely huge. It has the same kind of over-dialogued and everybody explaining their powers to each other as they use them and all that kind of thing. Yes. Um, so there's that... I mean, we're in the middle of Jim Shooter's uh, run as editor-in-chief, and yeah. he had the policy of... Every every issue is someone's first issue, mm-hmm. so they've got to be able to work out who everyone is. 
um, or be told who everyone is through the course of the comic. Yeah, yeah, and to be fair, I, I felt little confusion about who everyone was. Hmm. So yeah, um, so there's those seeds, and yeah, so uh, I because um, Byrne left X Men because he was fed up of working with Claremont. Yeah, yeah. Um, and only to then slavishly ape him in his own work. Well, yeah, he didn't want to make uh, Alpha Flight. He wasn't interested in it, so he's he's co-creator of it in the X Men, um, uh, and didn't he didn't want anything to do with them. He just thought they were a team that had been made as analogs to the powers of the X Men. Yeah, yeah, and he just thought they were a nonsense team that he wasn't invested in at all. But uh, fan reaction was that uh, they wanted an ongoing Alpha Flight series, so he just got pressurised into it by Jim Shooter. Was he doing Fantastic Four at this time as well? He was, yeah, he was doing Fantastic Four at the same time. That's what he wanted well to do. Well, it's isn't it, that particular one? Uh, it's alright. I prefer Alpha Flight. I think that Alpha Flight's more interesting because it's, I think it's a solid, a consistently com- solid run. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not exciting. There's not like, uh, in terms of the comics that we met each other talking about, there's none of that sort of metaphysical... No, there's, there's not much more than what's on the page. Yeah, but um, it's a solid run made by someone who's very good at what they do, but didn't want to do it. Um, and, I th- and that's one of the things that interests me about it. Another is that he does interesting things occasionally in the drawing. So there's a sequence... Um, uh, yes, and this is a bomb sequence. No, this is, uh, so th- there is that one with a countdown. Um, but on page 21, there's a bit where Shaman sends oh, them all... Oh, teleporting bit. Yeah, yeah. That, that's quite visually nice. I have noticed that, yeah. Did he yeah. do, do that every time? Nope, this, this is the only time he did it. Oh, right. Well, it's, it's, yeah, it's a nice little look. It uh, works very well. Um, so for the listeners, uh, there's four panels, uh, four very wide panels, and drawn into those are the team. And then... Uh, at the top of each panel is a is a section of blank space. So as you read the panel, it's like they're disappearing. Line that sort of moves down and eliminates the team, but it's all it's kind of done as a not a triptych, a quadptych or something. <laughs> so it's, it's one one image split into four at a time, and then showing them slowly disappearing. Yes, that is nicely done. Yes. Yeah. So that one, and then as you mentioned, the uh, the countdown towards the end, where he says yeah. he says on page. 35, I'd say I've got about 10 seconds, and then as you turn over, it's got a nice little... The, the, the panels are shaped into the numbers 9 yeah. through to 1. I mean, he does... Once, all of a sudden, once it's uh, just Guardian and Box having their fight, the art, or the inking especially, gets very Barry Windsor Smith. It's hugely influenced by it. If you look at page yeah. 34 and the explosion page, all that little hatching and how it's used to show form and stuff. It's completely Barry Windsor Smith. It's like yes. the circuitry just goes, okay, I'm, well, I, I might, you know, starts him off trying. This box guy, by the way, yeah, um, is is he limbless? He is, yeah. So um, he's uh, he's not limbless. He's got no legs. Oh right, okay. So I was going to say he's also tied up because. So uh, this is the one part that isn't very well explained. Is that. Uh, in the in the issue before this, uh, Courtney Delphine goes yeah. to all the uh, so um, uh, what do we call it a mega flight or a mega flight, whichever one it is. Uh, that's made up of disgruntled oh, ex employees of Department H. So she goes to all of them, and then when she goes to Roger Box and says, "We want the Box robot," 
Um, he goes, yeah, yeah, okay, and then instantly tries to get in contact with Guardian to tell him what's going on. Um, yeah. Sorry, I'm taken by the Dick Emery innuendo of the name Roger Box. I mean, John Byrne grew up in Britain. Surely he's uh, aware that that could be misinterpreted. I think so. I think, yeah. So there's Roger Box. Um, obviously, Roger Box is B-O-C-H-S. And then he oh, is is also right. superhero B-O-X Box. Clever. No one's going to spot that. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, and his power is never actually explained in any of these comics. But that he is... Um, like super heroically inventive. Oh right, okay. So that's his power, uh, and that's why uh, Guardian helped design the box robot. Okay. Um, because uh, obviously Roger can't do that much actual building by himself because of his condition, the fact that he lives in a yeah. wheelchair. So he needs other people to come around. And then later on, we get Mr. Jeffries, the best character ever in comics, and he does most of the actual work for him. So. Yeah. But that's, I'm I've discussed Mr. Yeah, a lot. Prepared to take your word for it. <laughs> um, so, yes. So I've sort of talked about what I like in defence of this comic. Was there anything else that you particularly liked about it? I liked I liked the uh, the countdown page. I thought that was very nicely done. I didn't especially like, I guess, the killing of a hero, but I recognised that it was groundbreaking at the time. And the iconic cover and all that. Other than that, it just seemed hugely standard in a way. Just kind of, it was a a snapshot of where comics were in 1984. And, you know, my particular beat is the the adolescence of comics, when comics started to grow up, which was in the late 80s. And that's beginning in 1984. And this is kind of a snapshot of what they were growing up out of. I mean, it's... It's interesting, I guess, that John Byrne wasn't that keen on it because it is rather cranked out. It's going, okay, yep, if Alpha Flight, they're going to have an enemy called Omega Flight. Let's invent a guy who's from the past who then gets defeated in a single issue. Let's have a whole team who get beaten one by one. There didn't seem to be... No, I can, see where, I can see where you're coming from. I mean, one of the reasons that Alpha Flight does so badly in this, and it and it's been uh, shown in issues before, is that they're a rubbish team. So maybe individually they've got strengths and weaknesses, but they never work together as a team properly. Um, there's other things which are very Alpha Flight about it. So Shaman, the wisest member of the team, yeah. um, is constantly getting stuff wrong again. So it's only when Snowbird gets to New York that he realises that she is tied to Canada and yeah. and almost dies, essentially because of him. Also, um, in the issue, it says Aurora can fly at Mach 1. Yes. Only has standard reflexes. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, say, say you're going through a flock of geese, popular in Canada, I believe. You will die. Yeah. You're, you're just gone, aren't you? You're, you're, you're hitting the ground at Mach 1. Yeah. Um, I think that is a, a terrible. Um, <laughs> that's a terrible addition. And he, he's actually put it in to, to explain how North Star gets punched. Um, yeah, that it is stupid. Um, the start did you see with the um, the suits that the guy Sasquatch Walt is he called <laughs> Walter? Yeah. Yeah, but the, the suit that he wears for travel is going. That's the beginning of that 
semi-scientific explanations of things which began to happen in the mid-80s. Everyone started to go, oh, wait a second, if our guy's got gravity powers, you know, we'll start to come up with, not ways we can use that necessarily, but little explanations as to how it would work and ideas not to make things quite so ridiculous. And that's that's emblematic of the times. It is, yeah, and also the sort of lazy way it's not followed through. So Walter designs himself a friction-free suit that he can wear yeah. while Aurora carries him about. But Puck doesn't get one, and he car- gets carried at the exact same speed by yeah. Eaglestar. Yeah. Um, I mean, a friction-free suit would seem quite the scientific invention, wouldn't it? It <laughs> would be, yeah. But he's very clever. Especially, uh, especially for a Puck. I mean, they could have revolutionised Canada's favourite game of ho- ice hockey. Uh, it would be very dangerous, wouldn't it? I don't know. I mean, isn't it anyway? I think ice hockey deaths are in the hundreds every year in Canada, both amateur and professional. It's it, it's a violent and deadly game. But they accept that when they go onto the pitch. That's I mean that everyone's everyone's game clear, clear that that's the way it is. Yeah, it's blood sport. Yeah, um, race two thousand. Well, I mean it was only two thousand one when they banned rifles from the pitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, was is it the biathlon that skiing event? The Norway rifles, as it's known, where you ski down a hill and then shoot some stuff on your way past. Yeah. Anyway, so we're drifting from the point. There is none of that in Alpha Flight. But go on, carry on. Sorry. No, uh, I can't remember where I was. Uh, just saying. Yeah. So th- we we mentioned um, lazy follow through. So one character gets a special suit so he yeah. doesn't get hurt, and the other one doesn't. Um, I do think there's there's some nice character touches. So um, John Byrne is quoted as saying that he's never going to be. Um, his art style was never going to be as paranoid as Ditko's or um, over the top as Kirby's, and so he was trying for nuance, and that's what he—that's what he was aiming for. So nuance in expressions and nuance in character. Um, and there's a few little bits of it. So, um, for instance, as we're going through where everyone is when they receive the call, um, yeah. Walter Langowski is in his fancy flat in. Uh, Ottawa, is it? No, Vancouver. So he's in his fancy flat in Vancouver. And then you cut to Puck, who is in like a spare room in a tenement in Toronto. Yes, yeah, that's right. Um, just meditating away. Six. So although they're superheroes in the same team, they're not, there's no balance there. No. They live no. differently. That's uh, true, yeah. I don't yeah. think we see North Star's home. Uh, we've, we've seen it in other issues. He very clearly lives with a man um, that they never mention by name. Oh, right, okay. So, he, was he gay from the start? It he wasn't... was gay from the start, yeah. Yeah, um, and if you read letter pages from around the time, um, some readers just got it and were saying, can you please just admit that North Star's gay? Can we stop being so coy about it? And then other readers yeah. did not get it and did not appreciate any subtlety uh, there at all. Yeah, but no, he he was a reactionary time, much like the times we live in today. Yeah, it's it's, yeah, it's the same. It's the letters page of Alpha Flight are very much uh, a window onto Twitter on any given day. To be honest, (laughs) Uh, you've got a combination of people who mean well, people who are very passionate about the comic, but maybe not in a sophisticated way, and then just dicks, and they're all sort of mingled up. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, what 
what else did I like about this? So uh, we get a little, we get a one page um, of Namor and Marina frolicking about yeah, in the yeah, sea. Really fish in. Um, no, because Marina's obviously uh, supposedly a core member of Alpha Flight, um, but she uh, doesn't have her special bracelet on, so she misses the call. I mean, I, you know, when she's ram- romancing Namor under the sea, I'm guessing that bracelet has not been left off accidentally. She's, you no. know. And it's so bit... to, oh yeah, I've got to you know answer a call for an alpha flight when you're talking to the submariner. You're going to be like seriously alpha flight? You couldn't get in the air. It's a bit dodgy. So uh, it says that he is um, uh, in a caption here. It says alien amphibious. She's a tantalising child woman like none he has never known before. <laughs> it was a different time. I think we all <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, using that John Byrne... Tantalising child women have changed a great deal in the uh, following 34 years. And using that special John Byrne subtlety, she came to hit, She came with him to Atlantis to seek the keys to her own mysterious past. This day she shall find much, much more. It's like, <laughs> oh dear. And that's just as they're smooching. Um, yeah. So, well, we know what's going on with her anyway. Um, she doesn't turn up for the funeral either. So the, the next issue is the funeral, and she doesn't turn up. I mean, she, she's you know that's a quite a leave of absence, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, oh, the uh, the mutant called Flashback, as he's introduced in a caption. His yes. power appears to be to use his double round his future selves in a time loop. Oh God, Flashback is such a problem. Um. Is that what he does? Yeah. So he calls well, that, future, future the, um, versions of himself into the fight. But that's what one of the um, the members of the special executive in Alan Moore's Captain Britain run does. So I've been told, in- but apparently oh? that's been done with more subtlety and a bit of forethought. It was quite nicely done. Well, one of them got killed, and then you were left with the, the main one just going, oh, great, I'm going to die at some point in the future now. Great. So... And walking off, but it's um, that happens in this actually. In another, in another John issue of Alpha Flight, one of his future selves gets killed. Oh, does it? Yeah. And then he, so he knows that he is then going to die. Yeah, and he spends the so rest of his life wondering when it's going to be. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, but I mean, Puck says somewhere in this that um, uh, even back when they were training, everyone knew that Flashback didn't have anything except that power, and that he was rubbish. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is quite nice. Wild Child is an awful little prick. Yeah, Wild Child, does he, has he appeared in later stuff? Yeah, so he crops back up um, as a reformed character, which is a pity because I think as a character, as a, as a nasty little vicious man, he works well as a character. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, he comes, he gets reformed and, he, and at some point, again, which I haven't read to yet, because there's only so many hours in the day. He um, becomes a member of Alpha Flight. Okay. Oh, As uh, I, um, was he in Rob Leefield's X Force? Have I got that wrong? Uh, <laughs> could any? There's so many of them. Uh, who was there? Was Feral? Who was like the little um, Spanish lady or Mexican lady? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, maybe I've got that one wrong. Or I'm sure yeah. there was another wild child. Maybe it was wild spelt with Y's. Yeah, well, there was, there was, I mean, there was the whole wild child set in the UK, Mandy Smith and the like. 
the Bill Wyman marriage, tantalising child women, I believe they were called by the press at the time. <laughs> afraid, I'm not sure where they got that from. No. Um... <laughs> uh, yeah, so Wild Child is nasty, and then gets slammed into a wall. Um, there is a moment here which I haven't been able to make sense of, not make sense of, but um, there's no explanation of it. So, um, sh- uh, Diamond Lil is uh, strangling Snowbird or doing right. something. And then Shaman uses her imagination. So he, he, he casts something out of his pouch. I don't know what it is. But what yeah, she sees it's a bit is... Like these little ropes of naked people, doesn't it? Yeah, ropes of bald naked men. Um, it's, you know, it's her only vulnerable spot. And it's weird. I, I don't know if this is ever addressed in comics. It's certainly not addressed in any that I've read. Why that is her particular... What yeah. has plucked that out of her brain? But is, is she a, a Cockney character or something? Diamond Lil? Cause it's a, well, no, she would have been Canadian because she, she would have been trained up to be an Alpha Flight one day until she went bad. Oh, is that what Omega Fly saw? Oh, sorry. So um, there was um, Beta and Gamma Flights. So uh, uh, we never get any detail about them, really, until they turn bad. But um, when Department H was funded by the Canadian government, there was Alpha Flight, who was like the the main superhero flight. And then below them, there was Beta Flight, who were people almost ready to move up. And that included Puck and Marina. And then under that was Gamma Flight, so people who had raw talents that hadn't been honed into being useful yet. And Diamond Lil was one of them. Well, I believe there was another one right in the uh, north of Canada where the ground is only good for growing crops that are fodder for animals. There was a super team that protected them. Alfalfa Flight. (sighs) Did you write that one down beforehand? Yeah, I had to write it down. I came up with it beforehand. (laughs) To be fair, your laughter could have been more on cue. Anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's uh, another sequence which I really like, which is where Smart Alec, the uh, cybernetically enhanced genius, uh, looks into the pouch, and then we get some photocopies of him going out of his mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, the last dwindling sparks of his sanity flicker out. Yeah. And that's it for Smart Alec. He's dead. Is he never seen, it's a very British name as well, isn't it? Smart Alec. I mean, I suppose Canada, you know, was a British colony for a long time, still part of the Commonwealth. Quite yeah. British influenced for it, quite a while. But. Yeah. I haven't seen the Queen reference anywhere. And she's obviously a mate, like the royal family, a, yeah, um, yeah, they're a Canadian big cultural thing. But, um,. No. So it's come up before when my um, friend Kate was on. She was asking where different people had come from. So she was like, oh, they're Heather and Mac, like Scottish Canadians. And I was like, oh, I guess so. Cause that would be. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So maybe Smart Alec was originally, I don't know. Uh, before this, he's he just, uh, we see him, he works in a mall playing chess against people for, for money. And I mean, it was, yeah, one hot dog. every Canadian mall had them back then. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, uh, that's what Canada's like. I think but... there's one in the background of the Robin Sparkles video, Let's Go to the Mall. <laughs> well, it's the lost verse, isn't it? Let's go to the mall and play chess. And then she just gives a bunch of chess moves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really uh... dazzling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
the Canadian middle eight, they call it. Um. <laughs> so, and the th- I mean, the thing I noticed about an offer flight really is they are kind of crippled from the outset because they're not allowed to have Canada's only famous superhero, Wolverine. Who I'm presuming was still over in um, X-Men. Yes. Doing a thing at this point and far too popular to leave. So he crops up in cameos. He is in in the issue following this one. He is. But it's a little bit like, you know, oh, here's a British superhero team. Sorry, you can't have Captain Britain in them. Yeah. Uh, It is a bit like that. And uh, again, letters pages were absolutely chock full of can you please put Wolverine into Alpha Flight, please? Yeah, and yeah. it's also the subject of lots of specials and what ifs. What if yeah. Wolverine was the leader of Alpha Flight? That sort of stuff. Uh, was he was he in them previously? Was he ever in them? So, uh, canon-wise, he was one of the founding members of Department H with Guardian. Right. Um, and then decided he just he'd had enough of working for the man, so went to work. For, so went to live with the X Men. Right. And so the first time you see Alpha Flight is when they have been told by the Canadian government that they need to forcibly extract Wolverine from America. Well, now you mention it, I might have read this issue. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's where Wolverine crops up. So um, And also, Heather and James Hudson are part of Wolverine's, oh, one of his numerous canonical backstories. Oh, right. Where okay. after he was in Weapon X and was sort of flailing about like a madman in the woods, they found him and took care of him. And it was Heather oh. that sort of settled the beast inside him. I think I have read this. I've read this at some point. Yeah. Possibly when I was buying classic X-Men when I was a teenager and I got that far. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, I mean, that all comes out in an issue of Alpha Flight, which has been covered on the podcast where me and John Bishop oh. talked about it. Um, yeah, and and then Wolverine and Heather have a sort of a weird relationship where essentially James and Heather are kind of his parents because they brought him well, up. Because they're the only ones he remembers, I guess. Yeah, and at the same time, he sort of fancies Heather because she's got long red hair. Okay, Oedipal. Yeah, so um, yeah, there's that. Uh, okay. What else have we got going on this? Uh, Courtney Delphine um, is yeah, a robot. Yeah. Which seems to be um, a remarkably flimsy robot disguise. I mean, Heather just kind of, you know, hits her face. scratcher and pulls her old face off. Yeah. They, like she's got away with being a robot for how many years? A few, at least. Yeah, but at no point has anything, you know, accidentally... Hit her. I mean, it, surely if it's that loose, it would come off just in, in hot weather. I guess possibly why she was. I know she's in New York, or possibly why she was in Canada, but she's uh, in a hot day. Yeah, but she's an employee of Roxon, so she doesn't even actually work for the baddie in this, who's Jerry Jackson. Um, she works for Roxon as like a sort of subcontractor. I think I've heard of Roxon, but I think probably Roxon are like the the bad corporation in Marvel. Yeah, figured that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, every time you need a major multinational to be baddies, you roll Roxon out. So yeah, that's. Was there anything in particular that you didn't like, other than that it was a bit uh, a bit bland, maybe a bit same? It was just so generic. It seemed like you know it was a double page issue. So they, you know, just because it was, they needed to make something of it, and that it 
was a story stretched to fill that length. It kind of was written, like the art and the the captions go together as if the artist and writer have not really met, despite them being the same person. <laughs> yeah, it just kind of, you know, it, 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 it uh, pointed up my own, I guess, my own interest. I thought, well, yeah, I'm interested in what moved on from this, basically, and whatever, when people looking at this and going, surely we can do something a bit more yeah. with content. And this, I mean, I guess this '84. So we got Swamp Things coming out around that time. Yeah, not long after, and then obviously uh, Watchmen. So I, I sort of uh, have been using Watchmen as a changing, yeah, the turning kind of, point. Yeah, yeah. So that's '87. Um, it was '86, wasn't it? Uh, eight, yeah, I guess so. Is that that's when the issues have been out, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still it, but yeah. So it was. I think Miller had done. His Daredevil run by this point, and that was with Marvel and edited by the same guy. I mean, possibly not actually, but certainly in the same office. So there was, there seemed to be a lot, the beginnings of a lot more going on. And meanwhile, this is just going through the superheroic motions. Yeah, that, that's bit, what you know. A those little are the bit comics of, that Byrne was interested in doing, though. Um, he's obviously aware of everything going on, and I think him and. Uh, he certainly is uh, has some sort of link to Miller because on the the cover of issue thirteen, there's all they're in a graveyard. And there's all these um, yeah. gravestones, obviously. That's what a graveyard is. And he's and he's written Miller, Sinkovich, and Byrne onto those onto those gravestones, sort of like an homage, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So well, he's Miller. aware of what's going on, and this is, I mean, this is just Byrne. He he likes traditional superhero comics yeah 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 i mean there are there are elements of art history but especially toward the end as i say but um yeah that would make it particularly stand out that i certainly if i'd bought this issue or been given this issue at the time i don't think i would have remembered it particularly and you know this is from someone who, um, at the time, probably Rom Fifty stuck very much in my mind. Yeah. So if if you're not hitting the um, the high points that Rom Fifty was, then I don't really, you know. I haven't ever bothered to track down a copy of that comic, and I don't think there's there's really a a, a great deal that's hugely positive to say. It's it's okay if you like that kind of thing. I guess you can read more into it. You you are proof of that it is. Okay to do so, but there's uh, it's 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 generic as a virtue almost. It's going okay. You like these kind of comics? Here's one of these kind of comics. Yes, and I th- I like the phrase generic as a virtue. I think it describes Alpha Flight <coughs> well. Um, and uh, it could be used as a negative, but um, I think I'm going to use it as a positive. Okay, well, you know, we've come up with something. <laughs> um. Because, yeah, I've always considered Byrne to be, um, whenever he is experimental, it's always within the strict confines of yeah. making a generic superhero comic. So uh, one of the first ones we covered was um, Snowblind, where five of the pages are just white panels. That's right, and I've heard of that issue, yeah. Um, but that's, again, other than those white panels, it's a very conventional comic. Um, and he'll occasionally, and he's done all black panels, which is sort of referencing himself. Um, yeah. But every yeah. every every trick he does, and every 
uh, every time he's experimental, it's always within those confines, and he keeps yeah. himself yeah. rigidly to them. Well, we, we can have a little bit of fun here, but let's not get carried away. Yeah, and also he was doing two comics every month, and well, that's true. And you know, I mean, this you, one he's essentially done three comics, yeah. um, and he's done the covers as well. So um, it's a, that's also interesting to me in how much ground he covers every month in yeah. terms of yeah. this stuff. Um, uh, it's interesting that you, you point out the artistry the last few pages, the fight with Box, where it goes a bit more expressionistic. Yeah. I yeah. think he was rushing. You reckon? I think so, yeah. Um, he To me, it looks like he's used a different gauge of brush, or maybe even a felt pen for some bits, because the, the lines, that's what it just looks yeah, like to me. Yeah, okay. Um, and I don't know that much about gauges of brushes, because um, I'm a bit of a philistine when it comes to that stuff. But, um, yes, that's what it looks like to me. Um, okay. Yeah, this is a more interesting effect. Yeah, it's possibly. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's no backgrounds in any of these. Uh, I think the the danger room thing is because it's quick to draw. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, and also, if everyone's going to have a fight in a big room, you don't really want to put a load of pot plants in it because you've got to draw well, them. Well, no, but then they just uh, they plunge into darkness. They kind of go through armored doors and just have a fight in what looks like a kind of a lift shaft. And then it is the very lift shaft that Heather then just walks into. Yeah, the architecture from... of this building is is bizarre. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's weird that Heather walks into the exact same room that had been blocked off from all of the rest of Alpha Flight. Yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, just strolls in there and goes, oh, bad timing. <laughs> um, yeah. Poor old Mac. Poor old, poor old Mac. I'm sorry, sorry to see him go. But, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, that's the the uh, selling point of this comic, isn't it? That Mac dies. Yes. Um, but he was also the, he was the, the main character. Uh, yeah. And they've, uh, yeah. So the rest of Alpha after this is, uh, I'd say, at least the next, the rest of Burns' run is characters dealing with the fact that uh, Guardian isn't the leader anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I say, that was the issue I read when it was like, okay, well, this, that's you know, that was what was going on in it. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it's going to sound mean, because she's not a real person, it doesn't really matter, but she does wang on about it a lot. It's, it's the defining part of Heather's character for a long time, is that she's taken over leadership because her husband's died. Yeah, yeah. Um, at length. Yeah. I think it's been. No, think about it. Might have been the issue. You know, when they all had those portrait covers, every Marvel comic had a particular portrait. Yeah, no, I know the one. Yeah. That might have been the issue I read. Um, it's, all, it's all coming back to me. <laughs> Madeline. Um, Simon. Uh, oh God, Simon. I'm sorry for forgetting your surname. Um, oh Jesus Christ this is terrible my friend Simon who also does comics whose name I can't remember now because I'm an idiot um, he has he started a project where he has been blacking out comics apart from the angry or sad faces and the first one he did was that exact issue of Alpha Flight oh was he right um, it could have been the issue I had I don't know what happened to him um, well don't let Simon anywhere near it because he'll colour it in no I mean, you know, it's probably for the best. 
So yeah, yeah. sorry to have, sorry to have not enjoyed Alpha, but it cost. No, me thank the... you for coming on my Alpha Flight podcast and just saying how rubbish Alpha Flight was. I really appreciate it. <laughs> uh. I, I want to make sure, make it clear, I'm available to speak on any podcast about how rubbish, <laughs> even if it's completely irrelevant. <laughs> oh, five minute cameo. <laughs> Uh, and now here's Tom. Oh yeah, see this thing you liked. Uh, it's really generic. You shouldn't like it anymore. Uh, I'm off. Bye. That's his plus point. <gasps> um, yeah, I did sort of anticipate that you might not like it as much as I did. Um, so a future episode of this comic uh, is going to be someone who likes it much more than I do. Correct <laughs> uh, <Interactive> episode. <laughs> a further episode featuring all of us. Yeah, um, which is going to be a video one where uh, it's just a big fight. Oh, right, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, why not? Re- recreating the comics, subtly I'm trying to think what the equivalent to uh, like a metal chair would be in a comics discussion. Um, I don't know, a spinner rack? Yeah, that would, yeah, that would, it'd be awkward to hit someone with, wouldn't it? Yes, okay. <laughs> it would. But I mean, what else have we got to work with? Long, you can't do a lot with a long box, can you? <laughs> Just be. Uh, I don't. I don't watch a lot of wrestling, but I've seen matches where there's like a coffin and they they throw someone in the coffin and put the lid on. Yeah, no, the Undertaker used to do that. It's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so just do that with a big long box. Well, the best thing to do with a long box would be to put it over two people's heads at once, so they're each looking out of either end, and they try and go in opposite directions. It's like a pantomime horse. <laughs> yeah, like a, like a pantomime push-me-pull-you. But <laughs> not to do little reference there for your uh, avid, <laughs> avid listeners. Um, oh, yeah, and then uh, two or three years later, uh, someone's uh, signing at a con, and someone drags out the long box to sign the loser of that fight. <laughs> this, this is the actual one. <laughs> um, okay. Um, I think we have covered the comic as much as we're going to be able to. All right. Well, I'm, I'm, it should be twice as long because the comic itself is twice as long. I'm sorry I've let you down on that front. I'm That's sorry. fine. No, honestly, it's fine. I think I would have got bored of myself if we talked for much longer. Um, All right. Well, thank you very much for inviting me on. No, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Um, if people wanted to find you on the internet, uh, or if you got anything to plug, what would, where would no, that be, and what would that be? Not really. Um, suggested for mature readers, the WordPress site, but it's updated not frequently. Uh, other than that, just you know, read the Daily Mash and see my enjoyable uh, comedy stylings on there. I've kind of quit Twitter and Facebook, so yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much it. So other than that, you know, just come round. <laughs> okay, I'll put your address oh, in the show yeah, notes. Um, uh, I should also say um, that, um, as a special treat this episode, um, the band uh, Vulcan Dub Squad have allowed me to use their song Alpha Flight Number 12 as the theme music. Um, uh, they're not a band anymore, they broke up a few years ago, um, but all their music is available on Bandcamp. For free, I think one of their albums is five dollars or five Canadian dollars, which isn't worth that very much. Isn't a lot of money. Um, but yeah, so go there and check out their music. Um, I've been listening to a lot of it since. Um, uh, one of our, one of our, one of my listeners. <laughs> I love saying that, like I'm somehow special. One of my <laughs> listeners. <laughs> um, 
Justin pointed me in their direction a couple of months ago. Uh, and yeah, I've just re really been enjoying their music. So um, there's that. If people want to find me on the internet, then I am Gareth A. Hopkins. Um, Gerthink is spelled G-R-T-H-I-N-K. And that's me on Twitter and Instagram. And also Facebook, I think. It's also my website. And my email address is gareth at gerthink.com. Um, in term, oh, it's also my big cartel. So I've got some stuff for sale on there, but I think if you're a fan of my comics, you've probably already got it. Uh, I'm working on three more comics at the moment. One of which is sort of autobiographical, which you've read, Tom Petrichor. I've, I've, I've not read all of it. So I believe there's, there are further chapters to go. I've still got to finish it. Yeah. But there's that. And, um, there's, uh, one called, uh, extension, the intercultural extension, which is about poltergeists, and then there's one which is uh, I found some really old pages, uh, which I've rescanned and I'll put in a little zine thing. Uh, so yeah, uh, busy stuff. Uh, thank you, Tom, for coming on, and um, I hope everyone will join me again for another episode of Alpha Pod Flight. Thank you very much and goodbye. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Turn to now. now, 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 now.